Hi, everybody. Before we begin this podcast, I wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to release some shows that were pre-recorded before COVID-19, before the pandemic really started to affect our businesses. Here on the podcast and in the school, we've put out quite a bit of COVID-19 content or pivoting, going virtual, and we'd love to get back to focusing on things like creating different business models and all of the things that really help make our businesses grow. I didn't want you to miss out on some really terrific shows, but I did want to make you aware so that you might adjust some of the ideas to suit today's climate. Let's say if someone's talking about running live events, just take a look at it through the idea of going virtual instead. I think you know what I mean. There's no question that it's not business as usual. It's going to be a long haul with this pandemic, but let's just keep moving forward. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, a show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Hey, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Atkinson. Today, we're talking about the steps to scoring that big book deal. What do you need to do? And we have special guest, Chad Allen with us. Welcome, Chad. All right, welcome, Jane. I mean, thank you, Jane. Glad to be here. (laughs) Now, tell us a little bit about your background. You have been in the book world for a number of years, yes? Yeah, I've been in the traditional publishing space for over 20 years now. Okay, and how did you start out? Give us a little bit of your trajectory to now. Yeah, so I started as my very first job in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, working for a small publisher, just basically did everything, was a small staff, and then eventually wound up doing some editing and then doing some acquisitions, which is just the process of bringing books under contract. And the last seven years in corporate, I was the editorial director for the Baker Books Division of Baker Publishing Group, which meant that I was overseeing the publication of 70 to 100 books a year inside a company that was publishing, you know, 300 books a year. And about two years ago, I transitioned out to be a full-time writing coach. So that's the short story on, on my background. I love it. And when you picked coaching to come out and help writers, what would you say your sweet spot is? Would you say it's actually helping them write a great book proposal so that they can be chosen by the acquisition team? Or is it a different part of the process that's your sweet spot? Yeah, that's, that's definitely one specialty of mine. And with that comes a variety of tasks, the first of which is just coming up with a great book concept. Um, right. So, uh, you know, what, how, does, how does that work? Because a great book concept will do a lot of work for you. Great book concepts end up marketing themselves. So it really does start there. And then, you know, the rest of the way through writing a book proposal, which is basically your listeners can think of it as a business plan for your book. Love it. And when you say concept, you know, it's a way of describing the book in what, two sentences that people immediately understand it and see the value in it. Is that right? Do you have an example that you think would be something that you've heard that, yeah, that was a concept that I easily kind of understood and was able to translate? 
Yeah, so actually it's even shorter than that. I, I think of the embodiment of a concept as the title and subtitle. We're talking about nonfiction here. Okay. And your title and subtitle encapsulate your concept. So what I always tell writers is, as you play with book titles, you're actually playing with book concepts. But before you get to that, you have to really have a clear understanding of the audience's need. What's the, what's the problem that your book is solving? And once you have a clear sense of that, then you can brainstorm titles and subtitles that promise to meet that, that need. And that's, I mean, in very short form, the process I use to help writers develop compelling book concepts. Gotcha. Now you've worked with Michael Hyatt. What did you work on? Was it one of his books that you've worked on with him? Yes, um, multiple books. The first of which was Living Forward, which is okay. all about, he's, he co-authored it with Daniel Harkavy. And that's a book about writing a life plan. And then we mm-hmm. worked on Your Best Year Ever, which is a goal setting book. And then we worked on Free to Focus. So there are three books there that, that we worked on together. And then I transitioned out. So uh, he's still a good <laughs> I still, I yeah. still hear the email he sent me when I decided to transition out on my own, which of course he had done years before. Right. And I, I think the world of Michael. That's right. Cause he came out of publishing himself. So obviously right. really understands the business and free to focus. Was it that ended up being the focus planner? Was it not that spun off of that? Right. I mean, I think, I think what Michael does is he, you know, he produces a lot of content around an issue, a lot of blog posts or podcasts. Then he takes that and turns it into a live event maybe. And then he turns it into a course and then it becomes a book. And um, I've heard him talk about how, you know, in those earlier stages, the material is still kind of fluid and you're trying to figure out how best to articulate it. By the time it gets into book form, you know, it needs to be fairly solid because it's just harder to, I mean, you can make edits to an already published book, but it's a lot more difficult than making it digitally to a, you know, to a blog post or something. Right, right. I think that the process is very interesting how far into it the book actually shows up because some people might start with a book and then do a series of, you know, using that content, repurposing it for other things. And so I think that's really neat how uh, that process worked. Okay, so let's say we have people who are listening today who would love, love, love to get a big publisher to take a look at them. Let, I've been to the book fairs and uh, the book expos before, and that was a massive eye-opener for me in terms of not only what's out there in print, but I can't even imagine all the books that didn't make it to print. So just talk about the ginormity of the industry and how many people are approaching publishers for books to have, you know, please publish my book. It's the best book ever. It's for everybody, by the way. We're going to talk about getting more specific on that. But just talk about how big it is, because I think a lot of people maybe don't understand that. Well, it is big. It's and, and that's why so many publishers don't even accept unsolicited book proposals, particularly the larger publishers. You're not allowed. They simply won't review your book proposal if you just send it to them without it's being represented or without knowing somebody on the inside. 
because they know that if they did un accept unsolicited manuscripts, they'd just be, or unsolicited proposals, they would just be inundated. Inundated. Um, and, and who would go through them all? Don't they already have, is it called a slushed pile? What's the pile called yeah. of books that are not yeah. books that they're working on right now? That's I mean, right. they already have so many ideas coming at them all day, every day. So, will anybody look at a book without a book proposal? Well, in the world of nonfiction, you, if you, well, here's, here's one way you can get around a book proposal, you know, write and publish a book that sells thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of copies. So That's the, the best way. Your, your book proposal basically is your previous success. And then, you know, the publisher that worked with you might very well be willing to, to do a second book with you without, without a book proposal. But if you're, if you are a first time author, you're trying to break in, um, even if you've self-published in the past, you will need a book proposal. Yes. Okay. And so don't you think that the book process, this proposal and all of the people in the whole world of books is kind of convoluted like you think oh I have this idea let me write it down and have the book be in print but there's so many steps to it there's so many middlemen in the whole book publishing world you know everybody kind of wants their cut and what would be the advantage of going this route versus let me just publish it myself and make all the money right right yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of both models, both self-publishing and traditional publishing. Um, mm -hmm. There are really good reasons to self-publish. For example, if you want it out by next Tuesday, you probably need to self-publish. If you want absolute okay. control over the editorial process or the cover or the title, if you want absolute control over those things, then again, self-publishing is the way to go. But if you want the expertise of, of a bunch of professionals in the editorial realm, when it comes to marketing and publicity, when it comes to design, and you don't mind waiting for that process because you know that by the end of that process, you're going to have a better, a better product and you want better distribution. That's really where traditional publishers uh, distinguish themselves from, from the self-publishing path. If you want the best distribution possible, then traditional publishing still is serving, a, you know, a large group of authors and audiences in right. how they publish the books that they do. Because selling your book, just you and Amazon, you're not going to get it into all the bookstores and you're not going to get the same widespread approach. And also, one thing you didn't mention, if you want to make all the money from your book. So what do you make about a buck a book if you go through a pub big publishing house versus, I don't know, five or $10 a book, I suppose you probably could make if you do it yourself. Yeah. So I did a, I, I get this question a lot. Another version of the question is how much can I expect to make from my first book contract? So I actually wrote a blog post on, on just that. And nice. And we'll it, put that in the show notes. Yeah. It includes a calculator where you can just like type in some numbers and oh. actually figure out what, what you can expect to make. Uh, it varies. The percentage is anywhere from 14% to 25% of net receipts. So it does vary quite a bit. The thing that you have to remember, though, is making, you know, 100% of five copies sold is still a lot <laughs> less than making 5% of a million books sold. 
So, right. uh, so you have to you have to weigh both of those. It's not just the per unit cost to to think about. It's it's how many books are we going to sell? You know, how many books are you likely to sell on your own? And then what do you think the possibilities are with a publisher? And then also the quality of the product is likely to be better if you go traditional publishing. So there's just a lot gotcha. to consider. I, you know, I, I would never want to cast aspersions on self-publishing. I self-published a book because mm-hmm. I wanted to go out quickly. I wanted to use yeah. it primarily as a lead magnet. But if I was right. going to do you know, a product that I wanted to be commercially successful and to have the biggest impact possible, I would certainly try the traditional publisher route first. And, and then if it didn't work out, I could always self-publish, but I would, I would certainly try sure. the traditional route. It's a good fallback plan. Now, would you say from an expertise and clout standpoint, so let's say your goal is to get, as a speaker, better audiences. I know that this happened with one of my friends, Joe Calloway. His book, Becoming a Category of One, was a real game changer for him. And he went to, I think Wiley published it. And it wasn't necessarily that they got him the distribution that put it into more hands. It was that I think the clout behind Wiley got him reviewed in a few places that really had meaningful ability to move the needle. Would you say that the traditional houses have the clout to say, here, review this book, and they will? Well, yeah. And not only that, when it comes to reviews, traditional publishers have publicists one of whose responsibilities is to seek book reviews for for the book they're they're publishing. So mm-hmm. you have people on the inside who have relationships with uh, book reviewers, right? And, and again, it's really hard to make that happen on your own. So there there are these resources in the traditional space that really do have value, and that's why publishers haven't gone away with the with the advent of eBooks, for example, right. or eBook self publishing. Traditional publishers are still here. Why? Because they still produce a lot of value. There's a lot of value in what traditional publishers do. So that's why they've stuck around. I'm totally putting you on the spot here, but do you have the current stats on ebook versus book in hand? Physical books, yeah. As in, uh, you know, maybe 2019 stats or something? Yeah, last I knew it was something like 25% of book sales are ebook sales. Now, if you, if you think about how books are sold, not the format, but the channel by which they're sold, I think the majority, the vast majority of books are sold via, you know, Amazon or some other e-tailer. Okay. When it comes to ebooks versus physical books, ebooks, as you would expect, like there was this huge surge when, when they were first, you know, but it's and leveled then, off, right? Right. They definitely leveled off. So, um, so there's still a significant percentage, but they're not a majority. Okay. That's good to know. All mm-hmm. right. So let's say you want to get that big book deal and you have a concept that you think is sound. And here's the kicker in my world you've actually already booked yourself into lots of speaking engagements. And so you have audiences. Don't you think that the publishers are like, aha, speakers sell books because they can sell 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 at a time. Let's talk about 
what your first steps might be in putting together a book proposal that will get viewed. Yeah. Well, to your point, one of the sections, well, I'll talk about two sections on a book proposal. One is the platform section. This is where you demonstrate with your speaking schedules, social media stats, email list, what kind of reach you have. To what extent can you help a publisher move books? That's essentially your platform section. Then there's the marketing section. And the marketing section is essentially a list of tactics that's, that's put on a timetable that you will use to help promote your book. And obviously, a speaking schedule is a huge benefit. We loved, when I, when I was in traditional publishing, we loved working with speakers um, mm-hmm. because it's just true that with, you know, just a few techniques from the stage, you can get people to go to the back of the room and buy your book. And we knew that. Uh, so we, we loved working with speakers. So you've got platform, you've got marketing. Now, a lot of people have pretty massive social media followings these days. That would weigh into their acceptance of you as an author as well, correct? Absolutely. I mean, publishers look at the whole picture. Package. One yeah. Of the key, yeah, one of the key metrics is your email list. We, as, as valuable as social uh, is, and it is valuable, we knew in publishing that the conversion rate on an email was much higher than on a Facebook post. So, yep. uh, and the conversion on speaking is probably even higher, right? The number of people mm-hmm. who, I mean, if you looked at the percentage of an audience in a physical space where you're speaking, my guess is the percentage of those people who actually goes to the back of the room and buys the book is larger than the percentage of people who open up an email, let alone a tweet, you know, to buy a book. So right, right. It's, it's interesting to think about what's the most effective way to get people to, to buy your book. Our goal is that every audience pre-purchases. <laughs> and so if you have 500 people that we give, uh, and so a great question that we have our clients ask people is, well, how long would you like this message to last? So you're in there talking about what the speech is going to be. And then you ask the question, how long would you like the message to last? And then we send a book along with the agreement with volume discounting and show them how inexpensive it could be for them to actually add it on to the deal. And the goal is that most people would say yes to that, that we make it so desirable that they just can't say no. And boom, now you've sold 500 books instead of one at a time in a bookstore or on Amazon. That's brilliant. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. So I wasn't weighing in how big the email list. So some of my clients who I think are really, really primed for a big publishing deal, that's something that they need to hop on right away is make sure that you're starting to build your email list. Okay, so we have platform, we have marketing, we have email list. I'm assuming at the beginning of a, a pitch, you're talking conceptually to them and telling them about what the reader will walk away with. Now, what about the people, Chad, who say, well, my book is for everybody. Everybody can benefit from this book. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you have to pick an audience. A, a book for everybody will sell to nobody, right? So, ah. often, so we work with some writers who will say, look, I've got three audiences. There's this audience, this audience. And it's fine to have secondary and tertiary audiences, but you've got to pick one as primary. If you can, <laughs> if you can reach that 
primary audience, then those other audiences will find the book. But if you miss that audience, then, then you've missed everybody. So pick mm. one, go after that, and others will follow. Oh, this is so funny because I swear every single podcast that we do, Chad, the idea of picking a lane comes into play. When we talk about picking a lane, we're talking about topic. And then when we talk about, you know, our target audience, we talk about who is this specifically for. And I really believe that the more narrow you can be niched, the better off it's going to be for you. Who's a good nonfiction author? as an example, who has drilled down on an audience that you know of that has had great success with that? Well, we were talking about Michael Hyatt earlier. Mm -hmm. And you know, his tagline, at least it has been for a long time, unless he's changed it recently. It's um, your virtual mentor, you know, and he's really in this leadership space. So he wants to reach leaders and his, his events now are all focused. They're called uh, the business accelerator, right? And he has leaders. His next book is called the vision driven leader. It comes out. Ooh, this month. That's good. So, that's a nice title. Right. And so he's been really successful. Now I think it's taken Michael a little while to get there. And I think that in itself is a learning, like sometimes We've got, to, we've got to produce a bunch of content and see where our sweet spot is. What are people responding to? Um, right. So, yeah. Uh, but I would, I would certainly point to Hyatt as a, as a he, successful. I, I feel like his path might have been entrepreneurial leaders kind of first. And then maybe now, maybe he's focusing over on, would you say, more corporate leaders? I mean, that's yeah, certainly that's, where the money is. <laughs> So I'd understand it. I think that's right. He published Platform first. Mm -hmm. That was one of his early books when he was on his own. And and since then, he's kind of moved in this goal setting and now the vision. So it does seem like there's been a bit of an evolution there. Yeah. Yeah. And what my experience is of the speaking industry, I actually think that when you run your own events, you can dictate whatever market you want, right? If you want to go for the entrepreneurial market, great. You can kind of do what he's done and build your own events, build your own following, and and it will be great. And there are people who will hire you to speak. But when you focus on corporate, that's where the big budgets are. That's where we're going to pre-sell 1,500 books for everybody in the audience before we get there. And so I think if you have a goal to sell a lot of books, then you probably want national associations and big corporate as your buyers, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think corporate is definitely one one channel. But I mean, you know, I think about successful women authors we worked with who just built their own audience over time. And so, and they're doing these, these big events. So I think there's multiple ways of, of garnering a big audience and a, a big potential sales number for your book. It just, it's all about serving your audience. So. Gotcha. And, and uh, I love the idea of being very, very, very specific about who is the buyer of this audience. And the more specific you can be, the better off. Okay, back to book proposals here. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet? And I know you have a program that actually helps people walk through this. Do you not? I do. It's called Book Proposal Academy. I open it up, you know, one, once or twice a year. But even okay. before that, you can go to my website and get what my book proposal template. And what this does is 
kind of makes it a fill in the blanks, you know, scenario. So I describe over several pages the different elements of a book proposal. We can go through the main ones here if you want. But then under each, under each heading, I've listed, like, here's what this is. So after the title and subtitle, we talked about that. And that's really, the pr- you get there by going through this process of concepting your book. Then you're going to include uh, what I call the brief description. It's just three to five paragraphs that cast your vision for your mm-hmm. book. Then you're going to include your bio. Your speaker audience will definitely know all about bios. And then yes. you're going to your table of contents and the chapter by chapter synopsis. This is where you show your book's architecture, right? You show, you show the process, the the experience that your readers will have when they read your book. So does this mean that you've already got the book written when you do this proposal because you're giving the table of contents and the chapters? You're just saying this is the framework, the wireframe that I expect it to be. Exactly, right. Okay. You're, you, you will have written, you know, maybe the introduction and first couple of chapters because the end of your okay. proposal is a writing sample. But when it comes to nonfiction, I, people ask me, well, should I write the whole thing before I pitch? And I always tell people mm-hmm. no, because for one thing, the publisher might have ideas. They may adjust. Yeah, that you'll want, right. you want to incorporate as you write. So, and why do more work than you have to anyway? <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay, so I have a question about titles and subtitles because this actually translates into speech titles and subtitles as well. Talk about clever versus clear. When people are too clever sometimes, you don't know what the heck the title means. And when you're sitting with a spine on the bookshelf at the bookstore and people read the title and they're like, well, I have no idea what that is, is that going to be helpful for them? Right, right. We always said in in publishing, we said shoot for clever and clear. But if you have to pick just one, pick clear, clear every time. And it really is that, you know, we need a clear picture of what the purpose of the book is between the title and subtitle. So you get both. You know, I'm reading a book right now called The Three Minute Rule. Well, what's that? But then the subtitle explains what it is. It's about, by the way, it's a great book. It's about how to pitch your idea in three minutes or less. How do you, how do, you oh. do that? Okay, and we need to put a link to that in the show notes because that sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, it's terrific. I'm, I'm about 50% of the way through it and it's a, it's a great book. So yeah, it, go for both. But if, if you have to fail at one or the other, fail at clever and succeed at clear. You know, you look at somebody like a Michael Hyatt who has actually come out of publishing and he chooses a title, Vision Driven Leader. Guys, that's not, you know, the most clever title of the book ever invented. I actually really like it, though, because it feels like it's a little bit unique. But, um, geez, he's really hitting the nail on the head and saying exactly what it is. And sometimes that's what you need. Because I'm thinking who moved my cheese? People were like, what in the heck is this book? Like it probably did really well, maybe because the title was clever, but maybe in spite of it as well, right? Because who would have thought who moved my cheese was about business? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what the subtitle is on Who Moved My Cheese, but my guess is that subtitle has to do a lot of work. 
Very clear. It's got to do some heavy lifting and have some good, good muscles. But that is, of course, an example of clever working. And I love that we had this conversation. Okay, so Chad, if people want to get in touch with you, I have a client who I think I need to put in touch with you right away. If people want to get in touch with you, what is their first step? ChadRAllen.com. That's my blog. And you can get the template there as well as the author income calculator we talked about. I love that. Beautiful. And they can book a call with you and figure out what the best, you know, product that you have for them might be. Well, I've got to tell you, this has been incredibly informative. Thank you so much, Chad, for being on the line with us here today. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jane. Thanks for having me. Hey, and while we're at it, I want to give a shout out to our listeners. I'd really love to say thank you, Heather, who actually put this beautiful testimonial out on our podcast on Apple. She said, I'm a year into my speaking business and only recently started listening to Jane's podcast. And it has been so helpful. I've learned about pricing, speakers bureaus, what meeting planners are looking for, etc. And I've booked speaking gigs because of the information I got on this podcast. Well, that's what you have to expect here at the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. And I just want to say thank you all for listening. And with that, we'll say see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com and take advantage of our 20-minute next step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.